Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back then to Failed Critic after a two-week absence. Um, I'm your host, Steve Norman. I'm joined, as I always am, by James Diamond. Hello. Jerry McCauley. Hello. And Owen Hughes. Hello. Uh, Before we kick off, James has to tell you all about some big changes. Massive. Um, Mm. Yeah. Hello. Firstly... Uh, because I've managed to get my family to bed, I'm not doing my um, semi-pretentious whisper that I had a complaint about uh, last week. So this is me talking normally, not pretending that everything I say is really profound. Mm-hmm. And the person who said that, I'm sure, gets that I'm only messing with them. Anyway. Pretentious um, bastard. Yeah, I know. Uh, <laughs> I thought it was sexy, but yeah, who, who am I kidding? Anyway. Uh, I was aroused. I was aroused. Yeah, I could tell. Um <laughs> Yes, we've split the podcast now into two. Basically, it was getting to the stage where each podcast was like looking at coming in at about two hours. And if you're listening to a podcast that lasts longer than a film, there's probably something wrong. Um, so from now on, uh, this podcast here is the Failed Critics Review, where we talk about what we've seen this week. And we talk about the big review that's out this week as well. So that's going to be the failed critics review, nicely under an hour. And then we're spinning off triple, but triple bill's got its own, uh, Frasier style spin off show, um, where we'll be able to talk a little bit more in depth about the films that we've chosen for triple bill. So each triple bill will have its own self contained episode from now on. Uh, and you'll be able to still find all of this at failedcritics.com and on Facebook at facebook.com slash failedcritic or on Twitter and at at failedcritics. Right, so what's in line for today then? So, um, yes, oh yeah, this is the other thing we're going to, oh, guys, shambolic as ever, um, but yeah, we're going to actually talk a little bit about film news to begin with as well, because there's a few things that have happened this week in the world of film, and maybe you want to hear our inane ramblings on it. For for example, I, I think this, this has happened quite nicely, actually, we're doing a big redesign at the same time that Sight and Sound is doing a big redesign, I think, I can't help thinking... Yeah, they're, they're almost like our sister publication. but um, They're having to up their game if we're having a... Exactly, we forced them into it, haven't we? <laughs> it's the competition, I mean, they, they just can't handle it anymore. Exactly, so yeah, big redesign to coincide with their historic um, poll to find the best films ever made. Um, unlike a lot of these polls that they do, uh, they don't let the general ship munchers decide. Um, they actually rely on proper critics and directs and stuff like that but it usually leads to a well let's be honest how many i posted the list of, how many of that that list of 10 films that are out have you seen jerry oh i'm I putting you on the spot on this 
I think, oh, right, I think okay. I'm up to two or maybe three you've, now. You've maybe seen three. Uh, Owen? I'm up to three now. Okay, I'm I'm on four. Steve, did you see the list the other night? I've not seen it because my internet's been down. So <laughs> should, should we have should we have a guess? <laughs> list 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 the films from top to bottom, and I'll tell you whether I've seen them. Okay, um, I do. Well, the the number one film is Vertigo. Seen it okay. long time ago, but seen it. Oh. Do you know what that's? Um, intre- Vertigo is actually going to be our failed listeners' main review next week, but we'll talk about that later. Um, second was Citizen Kane. Not seen it. Okay, I have now seen this. By the way, okay, oh, all, all interesting. Okay, is it, is, is, it a, is it a big deal? Uh, oh, it is. It is. Okay, <laughs> I love it's it. Good. It's good. Yeah, and I can see why it was influential. Right, there's that, but you have to put that aside from the film itself, which is good, but not the best film I've ever seen, or well, even no. top two best film I've ever seen. I can see why it's influential, don't get me wrong. And Wells is really good. And obviously there's a lot of stuff in it that's that's quite different for the time that it was produced. But for yeah. me the main benefit that came out of it was that uh, Wells and his mate, whose name I can't remember, then went on to make the third man. Yeah. And uh, what's his name, the other actor? Uh, it's completely slipped my mind. But he basically only got into films because he was also Wells' mate, which is the best way to become an actor, if you ask exactly. me. Exactly. Yeah. Very, um, very much. He ended up getting the main role in Third Man. So. Very much a Hollywood answer to Paddy McGuinness, then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but he's a bit of a better actor. Some, yeah. pe- some people just need an analogy, and I've just given it to him. I know, you, you provide that <laughs> yeah. service for Right, Tokyo Story from 1953. No um, idea. I bet you're a massive fan of that, aren't no, you, No idea. I know Owen says that's I brilliant. love it. Yeah, yeah. awesome. I'm, I'm, I'm meaning Probably to watch my that. my favourite on that top ten list, I think. Um, Laragel What's it about? Shoot. Come on, what, hold on. What's, oh, what's Tokyo. this Tokyo Story about? Tokyo come Story. On, it, yeah, go on, tell us, Owen, because you've seen it. Yeah, okay. It's about this family in Tokyo. I think it was filmed in 1950s. Um and the parents come to visit the kids and they're all sort of living around different places in Tokyo and they just keep getting passed from one per- from a, one set of kids to the other set of kids and nobody really wants to take care of these these parents who've travelled a long way in to see them. So it's, but it's it's really sort of sombre and, it, I mean, it's really emotional. It's, it's very good. I really recommend it. I mean, I haven't seen a film that gets you so emotionally involved as Tokyo Story. There you go. I may okay. have competition for you later on, and I think James oh, will agree okay. with this. Yeah. <laughs> no, number four, La, La Regale de Joux by Jean Renoir from 1939. Steve, seen that? No. <laughs> um, <laughs> number five, Sunrise, A Song of Two Humans, a silent film from 1927 this by sounds... F.W. Murnau. No, it does sound like a really pretentious list. <gasps> oh, you'll like oh, the next one, one Steve. Yeah, you'll love the next one, Steve. Number six, 2001, A Space Odyssey. <laughs> Well, I've seen it. <laughs> Moving um, on. Number seven, The Searchers by John Ford, 1956. No. no. This one I hadn't even heard of, actually. When it um, Number eight, Man with a Movie Camera. It's an avant-garde documentary from 1929. It's no. like Soviet propaganda. I mean, <laughs> come on. Um, then number nine, The Passion of Joan of Arc by Carl Dreyer from 1927. Is that a sequel to The Passion of the Christ? <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> well, like and then finally, Fred Federico Fellini's uh, classic Eight and a Half from 1963. No. no. Okay. I think but, too. Um, so, I mean... Side note on Eight and a Half: Don't ever watch Nine, which is the which, sort of which one's musical. that? Is that 
It's the recent musical tribute to Eight and a Half. Oh, God. Was Peter Greenway involved in that? Or I have no idea who is responsible, yeah. but they should all be lined up against a wall and fucking shot. Oh, <laughs> it, is, I thought you were it was so it. bad. No, no, it really... Oh, God. It's so bad. Oh, and we... it's, um, it's, it's Day-Lewis, I think, is playing the, the okay. Fellini character as well. I think... Oh, I've tried to block it out of my memory, to be honest. It's got a lot of hot, sexy women in it. That's what they sell it as. Okay. Oh, good God! It's just don't don't put yourself through it. It's not even so bad. It's good. It's just I turned. It was one of the few films I've ever turned off after like forty five minutes to an hour. It was just appallingly bad. Excellent. Well, there we go. That that's how we. Move, that's how we movie off news. Our... <laughs> movie news. Then who wants to start with movie news? Well, the only other thing I've I've discovered this week um, that shocked me is that somehow Peter Jackson is finding. Enough, enough um, story in the Hobbits to stretch it out to a third film, which will be out six months after the second film. Um, I, he, apparently, he's going to use the appendices of Lord of the Rings to fill out more backstory, which I think is exactly what this film is going to need: is more Flurgle, son of Ujima Flip, took this. Th- oh God, I, I really like the Lord of the Rings trilogy. I think it's fantastic. It's a brilliant piece of uh, just blockbuster movie making. Great stuff. This film, this book that he is making the films of is about a third the size, but he's making as many films. I'm just, I don't know how I'm going to be able to cope, to be because I bet they're all going to be nearly three hours long as well. I I don't know if I'm going to be able to. I was going to say this. Is he going to have a similar length or is he doing three small films rather than three really, really I mean, long films. But that means, unders- I think they're all at least two and a half hours long. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> I mean, but as good as the films are, like the original, well, the, you know, the Lord of the Rings trilogy, yeah. they kind of film, because they're that long, you kind of get put off going to watch them in the cinema because you just think, I don't really want to be sat somewhere for over three hours where I can't really get up and scratch my ass and do what I want. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I you know what I mean. You know what I mean, though. The numb ass you get when you're walking out. Yeah. Oh. oh no, yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I'm just, oh, I, I really worry about the man's sanity now. I, I, and apparently, it's not from the studio. Apparently, he's decided that it almost feels like the uh, the hubris of the artist going that everyone wants to see more of me doing the Tolkien <laughs> universe. And it's like, no, seriously, we, we're quite excited about The Hobbit. Then you went, because originally it was just meant to be one film as well. And then he stretched it into two. We're like, okay, fair enough. Uh, and now three. Um, yeah, I, yeah I, I, fear, I think it could be one of the most overblown nonsense film trilogies ever now. Uh, bear which in mind, is shame, because I was like, excited about it. There's going to be six versions of it as well. Because oh, yeah, he's, he's shooting in like versions, yeah. 32 and 64, and then 3D 32 and 3D 64, and then IMAX oh, God, 3, 32 and then IMAX 64. Well. Oh, God. So there's yeah, going to be just... six different versions of these three films that you can watch. There's going to be a full 18 different versions of these that you can bring <sighs> box sets He out needs off. to get a hobby. And it's just a shame because actually, uh, was it Owen talked about... Um, uh, brain dead recently on here. Someone did. It was definitely yeah, Owen. Yeah, it was. Yeah, and um, yeah, and it is kind of like you just want him to go. 
um, yeah, just, just sack all that, just make a nice low budget horror film again and we'll fall in love with him. I, I just think it, he's just got so self-important here and he's joined the, um, he seems like a nice bloke, but he's joined the James Cameron kind of legion of technology's amazing and I'm going to make really long films that I'm going to force you to like kind of thing. And I, all of a sudden now, I've, I've been turned off by The Hobbit completely with this news. I mean, I think he just matured as a filmmaker, didn't he? Uh, yeah. If, I mean, the point about if he went back and made just another low-budget horror film, I don't think it would have the same kind of charm to it as no, something like Rainer. No, no, it you're would, probably right. It would be a big superstar filmmaker has gone to make a low-budget film, and it would really stink, I imagine. Yeah. Or oh, The Frighteners, if he went back and made some... Because I love The Frighteners. If he went back and made some... Oh, it just feels... I don't know. I, I want him to... To stretch a bit more, I, 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 I think ha- he needs is a good, really good, and really picky editor because he just needs mm. to learn that you don't need to film so much stuff. I mean, he needs to learn the art again. I mean, it's not like he was doing really story, long films yeah. initially. He's telling a story in as little time as and as little scenes mm. as possible. Well, and he needs yeah. to work harder on conveying as much information in as small a space as he can to the audience, which is kind of the art of filmmaking, isn't it? It's fitting as much as he can in. I suppose before we talk about the new. Skyfall trailer. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to mention. Um, I think it's only come out in the fortnight we've been off, but um, Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg have announced what the idea is behind the uh, final part of the Three Flavors Cornetto trilogy. See the follow-up to Sean the Dead and um, Hot Fuzz. Best name for a trilogy ever, by the yeah. way. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> This is, it's going to be called um, The World's End, um, and the plot is basically, just quickly summarising, um, 20 years after some friends have tried to do an epic pub crawl in their hometown, one of them wants to try it again, um, and as they try and go from pub to pub, it's not just sort of their own future they're starting to realise, it's the whole of mankind's. But it's just... You know, from space to Sean the Dead to Hot Fuzz, everything that those two have done together, I've liked. Some of the stuff they've done on their own, I've liked. Some of the stuff they have done on their own, I haven't liked, obviously. <laughs> but run, fat boy, run, for starters. Scott Pilgrim was good, though. Yeah, Scott Pilgrim. Yeah, Edgar Wright's clearly a very, very talented filmmaker. Um, and I'll watch anything he does, and I'll definitely watch anything mm. him and Simon Pegg and Nick Frost do together. The, the film's out next year. Uh, it's... I, you know, I don't care what else is out that week, we're going to watch it. <laughs> yeah, I think that's fair enough. Um, but yeah, it's just, I like the way they put in sort of a trivia track in everything they've done, and then you watch it after you've watched it the first time with this trivia track on, you notice all the little kind of geeky references they put in. I was yeah, genuinely tempted to buy the... Uh, sorry, Owen, go on, go on. I was just going to say that Hot Fuzz is full of those little references, yeah. isn't it? But I mean, everything you think Sean of the Dead's back mm. with them, but you watch Hot Fuzz and no, there's Sh- just so many. Sean of the Dead is. If, you, if you've got the DVD or the Blu-ray of, of any space Sean of the Dead Hot Fuzz, there's usually an extra on there where you can put the um, trivia track mm. on and it comes up at the bottom like a little subtitle of what the trivia is. And there's loads of it in everything they've done. Uh, I was tempted to buy the Blu-ray of Scott Pilgrim purely to see just how many references they managed to get into yeah. that film. I mean, I was picking up on loads, and apparently there was just hundreds that I missed. And the whole th- thing is just... 
geek trivia, isn't it? I mean, that's the, the purpose of the film. And obviously, uh, Nick Frost will be back as, as the comic foil for Simon Pegg. Yeah. Do you, uh, Steve, um, do you resemble Nick Frost in any way? Because it's kind of how I imagine you. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> What's all that about? In a sort of funny, slightly bumbling sidekick. Are you digging? Mean, I've, I've seen him on telly, and I don't think I'm as big as that on his last television performance. Oh, I'm not talking. I'm not talking in terms of being fat or whatever. Although your references to kebabs in the last podcast. <laughs> That was so a reference to that was a reference to vigilanteism, not to kebab. <laughs> I was I was I was finding the important information. No, I'm just I'm just it's it's for the comedy side. See the positive, Steve. Come on. I'd like to think I'm more than a sidekick. That's just my own arrogance. Yeah, uh, you're the glue. You are a vigilante together. hero. Yeah, yeah. James Bond, then. Yes. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he's good at the opening ceremony of the Olympics, isn't he? He was, he was, wasn't he? Well, I mean, well, Shaq the Queen as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, that that was his segment, and that was brilliant. I mean, how they managed to get the Queen to join in and do that is just worthy of a knighthood itself. Yeah, I mean, Danny Boyle, the whole thing by Danny Boyle was just fantastic. Mm. I know it's got bit of stick from some people, but I absolutely adored that opening ceremony. They are, Owen. Cynical Sorry? fools. Yeah, cynical, cynical fools. The only thing, yeah, the only uh, thing uh, I... Can I be a cynical fool then? Oh, wow. Oh, no. Oh, well, <laughs> I changed the habit of a lifetime. Yeah, no, <laughs> what's new? Um, one, why did we just gloss over the fact that we enslaved like millions of people for 200 years? That was kind of glossed over. That was a bit of a glaring error from my perspective. And the other thing, as a dirty northerner, as Steve would refer to me... <laughs> Um, when they did all the industrialisation, I'm not going to lie, I was expecting that, as a Thatcher-masked person to run on a kick all the chimneys down. <laughs> <laughs> that that would have been brilliant. That, <laughs> that would have been excellent. One of them would have been better than the Mr Bean bit. Yeah. But no, well, I, mean, I liked the Mr Bean bit, I thought that was really good. <laughs> I thought it was all working really well. But you could, uh, but you could have seen sort of um, Prince William or Prince Harry doing the bit the Queen done, but when you saw the Queen actually doing it, you thought, that's just... How, what you know the meeting that goes into that when Danny Boyle has to actually go and ask the Queen to do it. Yeah, I was going to say, do you reckon she knows she knows who Daniel Craig is, and she knows who Danny Quite Boyle possibly is? Possibly not. Pro- I don't know. I think she almost she certainly not. Quite off on these little sort of uh, <laughs> references to other things, doesn't she, the Queen? I'm not a royalist by any means, but you know, I think she's um, she gets a lot more than people give her credit for. She's down with the kids, is she? She's going with the kids, yeah. I think she does. It's, well, what's is it? Coronation Street? She watches or something? Probably. I'm sure, she watches one of the soaps. And, yeah, but I uh, bet she doesn't even realise that Coronation Street is set in Britain. <laughs> she probably thinks these these weird northern folk are different drama. species. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, on from the opening Skyfall. ceremony to yes. Skyfall, the new trailer, a crane on a train. <laughs> I thought you were going to continue with some poetry there. Steve. I wish I could. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I was expecting I... a limerick or something. Yeah. <laughs> um, can I just say, I literally wet my pants at the Skyfall trailer. The first trailer I thought was quite interesting. The one I've been seeing in the cinema in front of most films that I've gone to see recently. But this new trailer, oh, it got me excited. It got me very, I do love my Bond. Um, Javier Bardem looks ridiculous, but brilliant as yeah. a Bond baddie. 
I thought he was playing Jaws for a second. (laughs) I was looking at it thinking, are they doing this in a way to poke fun at the bad wigs and bad makeup of old Bond films? Yeah. It it looks like it, doesn't it? It looks like they can't be taking that seriously. Yeah. But, um, his hair was bad in No Country for All Men, but that is like a yeah. different level of, of oh, bad no. hair. Looks like an Austin Powers version of a yeah, bad guy. Yeah, actually. Um, but, you know, the rows of coffins with uh, Union flags draped over them, uh, Bond coming back from the dead. Uh, I'm, I'm massively excited. After the huge misstep that was Quantum of Solace, or, and we do need to remember Quantum of Solace had a really good trailer and then turned out to be a bit of a mess. Um, so I'm going to try and... no 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 but it wasn't you know coming straight on from Casino Royale it was a disappointment yeah. compared to Casino Royale it was still better than a lot of actual Bond films but um, again, you know nothing will ever be as bad as Die Another Day um, but I, I still think it it wasn't as good as it should have been and I'm hoping that this is a step back in the right direction looks like there's some fantastic stunts going oh, I, I, I'm just very excited and you know, we will be having co- kind of like our Batman special which I'd just like to say thank you to everyone who downloaded it it's our fastest downloaded episode ever it's very nearly, it's only been out two weeks and it's almost been downloaded more than any of our other episodes completely um, but when Skyfall comes out we will be running a Bond special podcast that week as well I am looking forward to that I, I'm speaking I, as someone who owns every single Bond film. Oh, and, and the blue, the complete Blu-rays out in September as well. I'm going to have to get the complete Blu-ray, but the, the um, DVDs are enough for me. Uh, I don't think uh, I've watched a Bond film since I was about 16. So do you be... for an interest? It's <laughs> do you want? Do you want a um interesting week? <laughs> They're on ITV like every week. Yeah. How have you missed them? Do you want? Can't be bothered to watch it. Do you I, want a bit I, of a? I like the, when was the uh, the N64 game out? Goldeneye. That was probably the last time I watched a Bond film. Oh, oh God, that was great, actually. God, that did, I did like it. Bond properly. Uh, best, I, I still best game. An N64 sure. with a gold controller. <laughs> yeah. Gold controller. Oh, and yeah. And yeah. Golden Eye. Oh. Yeah, should we talk about some films we've watched? Yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think that was the sound of us all looking wistfully off into the distance. Yeah. <laughs> Golden Before we move on, can I just ask, did anyone see the trailer for Cloud Atlas? No, it's about I five minutes long. Is it? Oh, I've, I've logged into IMDb earlier, and it was there, like ready for me to watch. And I thought I do need to watch that. That and the trailer for Killing Me Softly, the Brad Pitt uh, kind of psycho killer gangster film that's out later. Both those trailers I've not seen yet. I'm going to treat myself to them after this. I tell yeah, you what, you I, I did see as well. Did anybody see the trailer for Life of Pi? Oh, that's the other trailer actually. That's there. Yeah, I need to look. I'm going to be late to bed tonight. I'm sort of. Scared and worried and horrified, but also really intrigued and excited at the same time. <laughs> I can't well, work not... out whether he's going to ruin it or make a really good job of it from the trailer. It's a very mixed trailer. Well, One last teaser trailer mention, because we did Batman last time. Man of Steel teaser. Anyone watch that? Uh, yes, I have, yes. And I finally yeah, seen the one with the Russell Crowe narration rather than the other narration. Yeah. <laughs> I am quite excited for it now. I think they yes. made it quite good yeah yeah I'm gonna just they they put that on um, before the IMAX version of The Dark Knight Rises when I went to watch it and oh my god I was so (laughs) excited I was just inside the cinema trying not to go oh 
and like yeah. shout out how excited that trailer made me. Yeah. But that's because I'm a massive geek. So yeah. I was looking for it in the, the trailers to Ted. I was expecting some kind of Man of Steel teaser, but all I ended up with was that bloody Neighborhood Watch thing with Ben Stiller again. I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know why because I shouldn't like the look of it. But the watch, I, I keep seeing the trailer. I think I might actually be all right. I'm, I'm, I think it was that all Richard Ayad again. Yes. Yeah. And Slim Jonah Hill. I think it could be funny, but we'll we'll, we'll see when it comes out. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> Jerry, what have you been watching this week? <laughs> what have I been watching? Yes, quite a lot of things this week. Actually, I've been a busy boy. I've been doing my homework, Steve. Um, I watched Pumping Iron, which is the classic Arnold Schwarzenegger documentary. Which I think I've probably talked about before on here. Yeah. Um, Did you I mention watched... it when you were talking about that bigger, stronger, faster documentary? Yeah, because I chose Cause... bigger, stronger, faster because I thought fewer people would know about it than Puppet Iron. Because I watched it this week on your recommendation. I'm not going to talk about it later. I just want to say it was a very good recommendation. I really enjoyed it. No, thank you very thank much. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, see. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's just a completely different way of looking at it to what you usually get in the media, isn't it? That's the. It is, yeah. It's very sad. It's truthful, and you know whether they're playing with the statistics a bit. I don't know, but yeah, you, it was a great recommendation. Sorry to interrupt you. <laughs> so it's all good. I like it. I'll be interrupted by for praise, however often you want. <laughs> but, you know, you can throw that in as much as you like. Um, I also watched Before Sunrise, which I'll be very brief about. Um, this is a really talked up, you know, classic romantic film. I fucking hated it. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to go into it more than that because it's just like. For people who think that the five-year engagement, for example, is all oh, Hollywood shit and and not do this, and I'll watch this intellectual version with Ethan fucking Hawke being an idiot. Um, it was just horrible. It's horrible. Don't <laughs> don't watch it. It's just for pretentious knobheads. It was horrible. <laughs> uh, the film I do want to talk about, which is not a pretentious knobhead film, uh, is Life Is Beautiful, which is um, very. I think it's quite a, a very popular film. Actually, it's it's pretty well known I, as far as I remember it won the Oscar for best foreign language picture as well um, and it got a lot of press basically to sum it up you have to sort of say it's a film of two parts would you agree with that oh, James? definitely De- it's, it's almost like two completely different films but they they it doesn't feel jar well it, it does feel a bit jarring but intentionally jarring um, they, de- yeah, they work together but it is definitely do. two halves the first half, you're introduced to the character played by uh, Roberto Benini. I'm going to call him. I don't know whether yeah, that's, that's correct. Yeah. Pronounce it. <laughs> well done. Um, who was the writer, producer, director, and star of this film, and he is fantastic in his role as Guido, who's this really funny, positive, sort of Charlie Chaplin-esque character. If I can go that far, he, he really has that sort of slapstick element about him. Um, and the first half of the film is basically his attempts to court a lady, without going into any more detail than that. And then the second half of the film is after he has courted this lady and he now has a family and he and his son, it's set in the 1930s Italy, the first half. And then the second half is an unknown amount of time later, but his kid's about five, maybe. Yeah, yeah I think he's about five. Um, so, you know, you're going towards the end of the war, probably talking 1943, 44-ish. Um I would imagine, by the way that the timescale of the second half runs. And he is Jewish. 
and gets taken to a concentration camp. So you can imagine it's not quite the Joey Chaplin comedy mm. the second half. Um, I won't go any further than that, um, but it is widely regarded as one of the most sort of heartstring tugging, sad, emotional, cinematic experiences you can get. And I, I, I didn't quite get to me as much as uh, Grave of the Fireflies did, but it was uh, certainly uh, a different experience to what you would usually get from a lot of films. Uh, really, really emotional. <sighs> Not draining, but it really grabs you and pulls you in and you yeah. really live the, yeah. the experiences of the characters. And you really, you know, Guido is a really likable character. He's one of the best characters, actually, I've seen in a long time. He's really likable and he's really real and he's a really well-rounded character. And you're just rooting for him all the way through, and then things take a turn for the worse. Obviously, when he gets taken to a concentration yeah. camp, and, and his kid goes with him, that and that's that's the yeah. the key thing, isn't it? You know, it, and I don't think it's. I won't say any more than that, but it's about it's just about a father's what a father will do for his son, and it's <laughs> you're right. And I've not since I became a dad, I've not had the courage to watch this film because it's always had me in absolute floods just before I even had a kid. Um, Benigni won the Os- he won the best actor Oscar as well. Uh, it had that famous bit where he was jumping up and down on stage and everything. So yeah, it won it, it won two Oscars and he deservedly won I think best actor that year for this. And I think he was rewarded with that for the, the whole film. Like you say, he wrote and directed it as well. And I think that was their way of giving him uh, some credit for that. But it, it, you're right. It's one of my three favorite films of all time. Life is beautiful. Um, because every time I've watched it, it has just got me right there. Um, but it's also brilliantly funny in place. It's absolutely hilarious in place. Yeah, I wasn't expecting that at all. It was really yeah. the first the first part particularly, but even into the second part where yeah. it's supposedly a darker turn. There's there are these chinks of light. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, anyone who hasn't watched it, I, I, I would beg them to watch it. It is just such a beautiful... I know some some overly cynical people have accused it of being schmaltzy or exploitative. I, I just think it's a beautiful story, I really do. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the reason I watched it, it's one of those films that's always been there to watch, but I've never got around to watching it. And part of it was just purely because of your recommendation. So uh, I'm going to do it. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, going, nice. uh, we're, we're all, we're sharing the love tonight. We're very we? self-congratulatory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's a fantastic film. If you haven't seen it, just, uh, just go and watch it. Maybe, um, don't watch it if you're on a first date with a girl and you're trying to look really manly yeah. and, because uh, you will not come out of that well if that's the, the look you're getting. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's just a fantastic film. It's a fantastic bit of filmmaking. But it's not. It's also not depressing. It won't make you want to kill yourself either. It just. It's just. It takes you on such a roller coaster. That's all. You know. It's. It is depressing in places, but it's mm, not. Yeah, but it's. Not I don't. Like, I think um, it's more of an uplifting film. I think. Uh, yeah, I definitely think that as well. It's not like it's something about, like Tyrannosaur where you come out thinking, "Jesus, that was yeah, brutal." What it, it's, about it's not love. knocking you all the way through. It's, regardless of everything that happens in the film, it's about love, and it's about. Um, a parent's love for their child. And if you can't be uplifted by that, then you're not human. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. At the risk of sounding like a really pretentious film critic, it is the whole of humanity, basically yes. all the different aspects yeah. of humanity are in that film. So that's, that's my uh, excellent film this week. Um, thank you, James. That's, that's, that's <laughs> me. Done. I'm out. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about it now. I'm just going to sit here and have a moment of contemplation. <laughs> well, 
Owen, Jerry's out, so you're in. I'm in, okay. Um, film I'm going to talk about this week is The Help, which um, I was lent the DVD off um, from someone who told me that it was actually pretty rubbish. But I really liked it. I thought it was really good. It got a lot of praise. Um, well, it got an Oscar nomination as well, I think, The Help. And um, it's basically the story of... Uh, well, the, it, it centres around the civil rights movement of the 1960s. Uh, in America, in Mississippi, I think it's set. It follows Emma Stone, who um, is playing a character who decides to write a book, which is showing the uh, the side of the story from the uh, the help, you know, the black maid that worked for all these white um, upper middle class uh, American people, and all the fam they work for all these white families, but. It's really hard for them. So she decides that she's going to write a book which um, basically shows their side of, of things. And it, it is quite a sad film sometimes, it's, but it's full of brilliant performances. Um, but, I'm, you know, I'm going to admit straight away, it was a film that I wouldn't normally have looked for myself. It, it, as it was given to me and I knew about the hype, I thought I'd give it a go. But I went into it with quite low expectations. Partly because I was told that it was pretty rubbish, and partly because I thought oh, it's just going to be really sappy and you know a bit soppy as well. It's it's going to be full of these sort of uh, you know weak performances, and I'm just not really going to enjoy it. But it was it was really good. It, um, it's quite a long film. It's about two hours long, and it is full of all these little sentimental uh, scenes and. You know, all the kind of stuff you expect to be, to be in a film that gets an Oscar nomination. But it is a very touching story, um, and it is full of good performances. Particularly, I mean, Emma Stone was good. I mean, don't get me wrong, she she was good, and I suppose she is the, the star attraction for the film. So she's the first name on the, the film posters. But it, the film is stolen by the two maids, Abilene and Minnie, who are played by uh, Viola Davis and Octavia Spencer. They They absolutely steal every scene that they're in. So I can't understand from a film which is supposed to be highlighting prejudice and all these you know, struggling African Americans why they aren't actually the first names on the poster. So <laughs> it's just something that's riled me a little bit. <laughs> um, but they, no, they did a get a lot of nods at the Oscars, though, both of those actresses, yeah, quite yeah. rightly as well, in my yeah. opinion. I'm not trying to accuse anybody of anything, you know. I just think it's a bit <laughs> odd. How <laughs> it doesn't want to fight. <laughs> but I, I just think it was a bit odd that she was the, like the big star when she actually isn't on the screen as much as the others. But anyway, that aside, yeah, but for the same reason that Schwarzenegger was the first name on the Batman and Robin poster. Yeah, and also <laughs> one thing I noticed recently: the uh, on IMDb, if you go on, if you look at um, Fire in Babylon, which is the story about how the West Indian cricket team of the sixties and seventies fought against oppression to become the the most impressive sports team of the time. Um, IMDb's top three listed people on there are, um, uh, one of them is uh, Ian Botham, for God's sake. And like Viv Richards is about halfway down the page. You're like, oh, for God's sake. <laughs> I, I must say, Owen, I went into it with a similar kind of attitude to you. I wasn't expecting much. And I think, I think a lot of it was, I was thinking it was going to be, you know, white people apologising for slavery in a movie. Do you know what yeah. I mean? I thought yeah. that was what it was going to be. And it, it really wasn't, actually. I was pleasantly surprised. So I think you're right. It is, it is a really oh, good film. Oh, There's some good central performances it, as well. 
It is. It's a very heartwarming film as well. I mean, it really, every every so often you just keep thinking, oh, this is the bit where they're going to kill that character. Or, oh, you think, oh, this is the bit where something really horrible is going to happen to them and they're, they're just trying to fish for Oscar nominations. But it, it doesn't. It stays really sort of heartwarming, but also quite a real story it feels like it's you know it could have it could be real it could be something that's happened to someone without being too uh without glamorizing it at all uh and also yeah. i just want to give a nomination to bryce howard who is ron howard's daughter um but she plays the uh kind of racist uh white woman who's quite she plays the villain in the film basically yeah the sort of antagonist she's really good i was i actually thought after um after uh, Viola and uh, Octavia, I thought she actually put in probably the best performance. Uh, yeah, I thought she was superb in that film. Although I think she she's in, now in danger of being typecast as that sort of villainous, bitchy woman role. Because she did a similar thing in Fifty Fifty, And oh, she right. seems to be popping up in sort of playing that kind of icy, horrible character. And she's brilliant at it. But I think she's actually oh, right. now in real danger of being typecast as <laughs> doing that always because she's so good at it. But she, yeah, she's really good in that film. And she's yeah. fit as well, so it helps. <laughs> um, yeah, but no, it's it's a great film. It's got a lot of heart in it. It doesn't resort to too many cliches, and um, I just find it a really nice surprise. I, it is a long film, as I say. I think it's over two hours, and it, at times it does feel like it's going on for a long time. But um, no, it's, it's a great film. I, I definitely think it was worthy of uh, its nomination for an Oscar. Perhaps not deserving of winning one, but, but definitely a good film. And the cake. The cake is one of the funniest things. <laughs> Absolutely oh God, hilarious. That's one of the yeah. funniest things I've seen in years. <laughs> it's brilliant. It, like I say, it's, it's, it's got funny bits of it. It's not all depressing. It's not all down and treading on all these um, these black characters in the film to make you feel sorry for them. But it's, it is. They're funny. They, they have all the, you know, they have a lot of the funny parts of the film. They have a lot of the uh, emotional parts of the film as well. It's good. Uh, yeah, great. The, but you're right, the cake is just so good. I laughed at loads of that properly. Yeah, same. I, was, I wasn't expecting to either at all with that film. It wasn't the kind of film I thought would be having me laughing and really, you know, I was properly heartily chuckling. It wasn't just like a smile. It was a real laugh. Yeah. Um, yeah, really good. It was a really good film, actually. It was one of the few sort of Oscar pandering films, if that if that makes sense, that's actually a good film as well. Do you know what I mean? It's not just ticking boxes for Oscars and getting award nods. It's really actually a very well put together and well acted film. I think that the performances drive it as well, as you say. From... I mean, it's no Forrest Gump, is it? It's not like it's just full of all these. <coughs> you haven't got. A, you're not playing sort of Oscar bingo with it. It doesn't tick all the things, but it's a good. It's a good film. All the same. Well, James, what have you been watching this week? Uh, nothing as good as those two films. Um... In fact, I've watched, apart from going to see Ted, uh, because I've been away at music festivals in the Lake District and driving up and down the country uh, and watching the Olympics as well. I've seen one film this week, uh, and that was This Means War uh, from earlier this year, uh, starring Chris Pine, uh, Tom Hardy, who, as well you know, uh, should be in every film ever made, according to me. Uh, but he shouldn't have been in this one. Let me uh, let me honest. just stop you. Yeah, right? I get a lot of criticism from you three for just watching really rubbish films and not being <laughs> generally generally that yeah. knowledgeable about films. Yeah. Yet 
there is not one single part of me who would ever go and see this. So yeah. how come you did? I'll be honest. I've I've watched this to um to review it for uh someone else basically. Oh, someone else. Uh, it's, oh, it's, oh. It's, oh. <laughs> this is like finding texts on your phone. <laughs> What's going on here, then? I'm I'm still with you guys. I'm still no. It's just it's um. I, Owen's keeping quite quiet there as well. So I'm gonna say. <laughs> I've got yeah. I've got to watch Contraband. I'm, yeah. I'm more. Um, I'm more upset that they've not asked me to do reviews for them. Really. Steve, <laughs> <laughs> where's, where's our, where's our I mean, I'm I'm reviewing gold for film, surely. Yeah. <laughs> I'll put in a word for yeah. you. Um, but yeah, so that's why I'm watching it. it it's a recent DVD release, uh, and it was. I, I needed to watch one this week, and I have the choices there. It was the shortest one. Um, <laughs> so 97 minutes. Thank God. It, it's direct, di- directed by McGee, so uh, the the esteemed director of the Charlie's Angels films uh, and various adverts, I think. Um, and Grady Tosser for having that name as well. Oh, I know, yeah. Um, basically, it, it the story is two agents at the CIA uh, end up falling in love with the same woman and then use their arsenal of tricks and spy techniques and everything to try and outdo each other and win the girl. Oh, and by the way, there's also some plot uh, in the background about terrorism and stuff like that. At the but, risk of know. sounding like Steve. Plot yes. hole. Uh, plot hole. Tom Hardy, CIA agent. He's yeah. English. He's English in this as well. Um, obviously the, couldn't what? be bothered to do an American accent. <laughs> Well, that doesn't work. In fact, they make a joke at one point that, like, um, uh, Reese Witherspoon plays the love interest. And there's a bit right at the beginning. Her job is fastidiously comparing products like, basically like a witch magazine type thing. She fastidiously compares products for a living. I wonder if that part of her personality will come into play when she's fastidiously comparing the two men that she's fallen in love with. Oh, my God. It's so ironic. Um, Please don't reveal the outcome, man. I won't spoil it for anyone who does want to go and see it. Basically, this whole film is the cinematic equivalent of your mate down the pub nudging you and winking at you while one of his mates is telling a story. Kind of like all the bits that you need to be paying attention to. Angela Bassett plays... Um, obviously, all of these films need to have a badass black captain type. But, you know, the the person in charge needs to be badass and black. It's the way it is in these films. So Angela Bassett plays that person. She has about five lines in it, to be honest. And one of them is, remember, this is a covert operation. And that's like the film nudging you, going, hey, hey, covert operation. Guess what? They're going to blow up a building. Um, it's horrible. There's some... There's a few jokes. Uh, I, Tom Hardy looks like he's in a different film most of the time. I, I really do not know what possessed him to get involved with this. Reese Witherspoon is her same kind of square foreheaded self that she is in every film since uh, goodness knows when. Um, Chris Pine is just, oh, he's hes that bloke that you hate. Just there you go. That's Martin. Chris Pine plays that bloke that you hate. He was yeah, really, really good in co- Star Trek, though. He was. He, it's just, but yeah, and Tom Hardy's been brilliant for that. This is just such a hor- horrible mess of a film. Um, there's a straight talking female best. Basically, it's just, it's a tick box film. There's a straight talking best uh, female friend of Reese Witherspoon who, like, swears more than anyone else and talks about disgusting sex and stuff. Because guess what? M- women can do it as well, kind of thing. Um, 
like generic rock solos during fight scenes. McGee clearly wants to make hard boiled at one point. Um, and there's this bit which sums up the film, which I hated. Um, Chris Pine playing a character called FDR. No, they've just decided to name him after a president for some reason. Um, has he actually called Franklin Delano Roosevelt? They just call him FDR during the whole thing. They don't even explain it. That's it. That's done. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Okay. Um, yeah, he bumps into Reese Witherspoon in a video store and like says that he's going to recommend a film for her. And he's like trying to charm her. And he recommends um, Hitchcock's The Lady Vanishes. And his recommendation is, he says, it's comedy, drama, romance, and a thriller. Um and he says it's classy but not stuffy. And and you think, hang on, they think that's what this film is. Um, and and he, he then has the cheek in the film. Reese Witherspoon actually like says, oh, it's not that great. It's not as good as Psycho Vertigo. It's actually a bit of a second tier film. And I thought, hang on, this film is accusing a Hitchcock film of being a second tier. What what's going on? They cannot. They cannot do that. Chris Pine basically harasses her into going into dates with him in the way that women in films seem to accept the fact that if he's just an asshole to her and she and she says that line that you see in really bad films where she goes, um, basically, oh, if I say yes to a date, will you stop bothering me? It's like, no, girls don't say that. They say, don't just piss off. Stop bothering me. You know, why would you? Oh, if I say yes to a date, oh, oh if I say yes to sex, will you stop raping me? It, you know, it's it, it's horrible. Um, it's it sounds not... suspiciously like Ted. Yeah. Yes. Wanting to give too much away. Without any kind of funny lines to distract you for a bit from the terrible storyline. Um, also, I, I'm sorry, there's this whole thing where um, uh, Hardy's character, Tuck, ha- um, is keeping his life a secret. He's, he's a bit like the whole true lies thing. Okay. Uh, he's a travel agent. It's a bit of a joke. He's, to his um, estranged wife and his young son, he's a travel agent. They don't know he's a secret agent. He works for the CIA. CIA. I've seen um, Homeland. Okay. You don't have to keep it secret from your family. It's just a nonsense. Um, and at one point, a mission goes badly and they get grounded, um, which seems to consist of them just sitting at their desk for two weeks. It's just so horribly made, um, really lazy, so many plot holes. Oh, yeah, and by the way, there's an assassin um, whose brother they killed right at the beginning, and he's, like, trying to track them down and kill them, and that bit kind of shows up at the end. Um, it's not f- It's not very funny. Um, it's, it's, it's kind of embarrassingly bad and cheesy in places. I, I, I cannot recommend it in any shape whatsoever. Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm glad we spent the longest talking about that film. That's, that's the end of the circle joke then. That's, yeah. that's the end of the positivity of this, yeah. you this can, podcast. You can thank me for making sure you don't watch that. Although, like Steve says, anyone who's seen the trailer and the, and the write-ups of it would probably never have bothered to watch it anyway. Yeah, I was wondering what the hell possessed you to watch that film. <laughs> it's, it's, but it's also part of my Tom Hardy bromance as well, obviously. I need to watch yeah, it. I love Tom Hardy, man, but <laughs> Jesus Christ. Pick one, pick one positive from the film. Um, one positive. There was a funny joke, actually, but I didn't write it down. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Actually, my one positive was um, Chris Pine walks into um, a, a quick focus group, uh, and it's about grills. Okay, and he's doing this big metaphor 
uh, with Reese Witherspoon. They're talking in code, and he's um, he's saying, "I'm a grill master," and he's trying to say he's had sex with lots of women, but he's using metaphors to grills. And she, at one point, just goes, "Don't touch my grill." And it's, oh, it's just horribly. It's been, been written by an eight-year-old. It's horrible. It positive. Yeah, yeah, it, it, yeah. No, that's about. There's some good. There's some cool explosions. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Oh, well, don't go and watch that then. <laughs> don't even download it. No. The kids, downloading is not cool, obviously. Piracy is not cool and everything. But don't even bother doing that with this. Don't pollute your hard drive with such garbage. That's exactly right. You wouldn't want to go to prison for having downloaded This Means War. That would be the most embarrassing thing ever. <laughs> right, after this break then, we will be reviewing Ted. review then this week on the come down from uh, the latest Batman film was Ted, starring Mark Wahlberg, Mila Kunis and the voice of Seth MacFarlane. James, would you like to introduce the film for everyone? Yeah, well, I think you've done quite a good job there, Steve. But yeah, it's the feature uh, directorial writing and acting-ish debut of Seth MacFarlane. So basically, I think... uh, my understanding from the trailer and from uh, everything that went before this film was if you're a big fan of Family Guy, you're probably going to really want to go and see this. Uh, personally, I'm not a massive fan of Family Guy, um, but I thought, well, it looks quite interesting. Let, let's at least give it a go. Then I saw the trailer uh, and then I dreaded going to see it. But let's see what everyone else thinks. <laughs> on, that, on that subject to kick off, if you've watched a lot of Family Guy and you're a big Family Guy fan, I think actually you'll see everything coming in this film. Like, I think it's so like that that sort of mm. sense of humour. You Once you understand that sense of humour and mm. that kind of humour, then the things he is going to think in certain situations, mm. it's just so predictable. I'm surprised by how many jokes, and I've, I've watched probably like two or three episodes of Family Guy in my life, never really gone with it, but I was surprised by how many jokes I was like saying the punchline in my head before they happened yeah. on screen. A lot of it was massively telegraphed. Just starting at the very beginning where those um, kids are beating up another kid and you just knew the kid that was being beaten up would tell um, Mark Wahlberg's younger character to F off. You, you kind of knew that was the way that joke was going and I thought, yeah, and that happens a lot in this film, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean that was I said that. It's exact the lines are what you would think of if you were writing a comedy script in that situation. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And my girlfriend said the exact same thing. And I mean if you've got a couple of brain cells and you've seen a fair amount of comedy shows and comedy films, you're gonna get like ninety percent of the lines in this before someone says them because the setups are that obvious. Well, I mean, there's obviously a big difference between writing a twenty minute Family Guy mm-hmm. or American Dad episode to writing a film that's probably an hour and a half long. Yeah. Um, and Especially in Family honest, Guy, when you can just go off on a tangent whenever you like that's not relevant to the storyline. Yeah, throw a they joke did that, in that a couple place. of times in this, though, I thought. There were, there were a few kind of weird flashback bits. Not well, as many yeah, as you he resisted that. 
Yeah, he resisted that more than I expected him to. Family Guy recently has just sort of descended into... <laughs> been nose. It is, yeah. It's terrible. I mean, the, the South Park spoof of Family Guy is just spot on, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Again, yeah, exactly. I'm, is, is no... I'm Team Cartman when it comes to <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I used to like the early Family Guy, and I think if you like... It, it, it is a, a film which is made for people who like Family Guy, I think. Or even yes. if you just like Seth MacFarlane anyway, because some of American Dad is, is funnier than Family Guy. But it's... Yeah, I mean, the point about it being quite predictable and just being like something that could have been done in a 20-minute episode of a cartoon that's been transferred into a, a you know an overly long film. I mean, it's calling it what it is. It's, it's too long for what it is. The thing that I noticed was I found some parts of it funny, but if you were to say to me now which was the funniest three moments you found from it, I wouldn't be able to tell you. But I did I laugh. Know, I did laugh at bits of it, but I wouldn't be able to tell you which bits I laughed at now. Oh yeah, there were there were certainly funny <laughs> bits. It's not like. I, I, Lacking yeah. redeemable qualities. There, there was some fun. I, I think I was doing a kind of rough count as I was going, and I think for every two jokes that I didn't like or or felt predictable and just didn't make me laugh, there was probably one that did. Um, but there was far less um, spot laughter that I couldn't control, um, which you know you do see with uh, especially earlier Sasha Baron Cohen's work. Yeah, you know, there was there was no moments where I couldn't stop myself laughing. Apart from, I mean, one you get that in Family Guy in American Dad. I mean, yeah. I'm a I'm a fan of Family Guy in American mm. Dad, and and there was there wasn't any of those sort of. There's usually a moment, at least every couple of episodes, and those where there's just something that just hits you so bad that you just laugh and laugh and laugh. And there was nothing in this film that that no. really did that. I mean, another thing as well, like it, as you say, it was long, but um, I thought for for the amount of time that it was there. There was so much swearing, and it was so unnecessarily crude. Yeah. And there was just—it was like teenagers throwing in swearing as much as they possibly can, like to seem older and seem cool yeah. and seem more mature. And that was the impression I got. It was like the film was aimed at fourteen-year-old kids who want to, you know, swear and and be really cool and smoke pot because that's the cool thing and and all that kind of. It it <sighs> actually feels like the kind of film that when I was sixteen, seventeen, eighteen. And maybe, maybe was doing one of those things that you just said. Uh, <laughs> uh, this, would have been, this would have been the perfect film to watch in that situation. Yeah, you know, I couldn't imagine watching Cheech and Chong up in smoke now. I imagine it would be terrible. But at the time, I thought it was the funniest thing in the world. And I, I, I think this would be the kind of film that would be a lot better if you watched while under a certain state. Not that I can condone that kind of thing. I mean, really I, coming I, across as the uncool man. That, yeah, don't <laughs> don't download stuff. Don't do drugs, kids. Um, don't have have seen, go on, Owen, Will, go on. I was going to say, have any of you seen Wilfred, the TV series? No. 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 It, it operates on a similar premise. I'm trying to think what the guy's name is. Who's the guy who's Frodo in Lord of the Rings? Elijah Wood. Eli- yeah, Eli- Elijah Wood is in it. It's basically an Australian comedy series about a guy who sees his dog as a person dressed in a dog costume, but everyone else sees it as a dog. Okay. But it's got, that, it's got the same kind of interactions where they're just sitting around getting stoned and the dog's making him do things he doesn't really want to do, not like in a sexual way, but in a... <laughs> <laughs> no, no one suggested it was. It's a story yeah. about a mentally ill guy, basically. But yeah, but at the same time, you're not sure whether he's, he is mentally ill or what is actually happening. 
He has a bit of a breakdown, a nervous breakdown. But it has a lot of the same kind of humour in it. But it's much... It, well, it's just cleverer. They do more with the, the actual premise. Whereas Ted, I felt just... After the initial, oh, well, he's just a magic teddy bear. It could have just been any kind of buddy film. You know? Yes. Yeah, I think yes. you hit something there as well, in that they did not make any kind of ambiguity about whether Ted was real. You know, even initially, even before it yeah. was confirmed, there was nothing. They could have. There was a lot of material there that you felt could have worked. Yeah. And maybe explored whether Wahlberg's imagining him and that kind of thing. And that was what I was expecting going into the film. And it was just so matter-of-fact and, oh, okay. Right. Yeah, and I think you're also exactly right in the sense that pretty much you could have got rid of the teddy bear and just put Owen Wilson in there. It, you know, it, it could have been you, me and Dupree uh, for large tracks of this film, apart from the the weird subplot towards the end, which I didn't like in any shape anyway. Um, but yeah, for, like you, you're exactly right. It was just like any other buddy movie. It, it seemed, um, actually, when you think about it, like a contrived effort to just get Peter Griffin's voice in a film without having yes. Seth MacFarlane on screen. Yeah. Do you right. know what I mean? Yeah. I think people wouldn't have been able to stand his stupidly smug face for however long the film was, <laughs> so he had to hide behind a CGI teddy bear. I mean, they, yeah. even, they even referenced the fact that the voice is Peter Griffin's in the film. Yeah, that felt that felt like... like a bit knowing... They, yeah, that I didn't like that. That was just that. That was a stupid line. But people in the cinema liked it. Um, and going back to what we yeah, were saying about how the I... jokes were telegraphed, I I think it will be popular because there is a type of humour where people like kind of people feel congratulated that they know what's coming but next. Part of the part um, of the thing is when uh, there was a certain point after Family Guy got cancelled and then came back that the jokes were a lot more shocking or intended to be more shocking. But now, because now they're not, even though they're the same kind of jokes, now they're not because you just mm. expect it to happen. It isn't, yeah. It's not a, like challenging comedy in any way. Exactly. Well, it's also repetitive in that way. I mean, they must yeah. say 9-11 about three or four times in the whole film mm. yeah. to try and provoke a shock reaction. It's just oh, God, some of those were so like just incongruous as well. Like There yeah. was just yeah. no... I didn't really get where any of those came from. It was just like trying to be controversial for the sake of saying something vaguely controversial that had nothing to do with the rest of the scene. Yeah. And there was the, the, the racial and the homophobic humour, inverted commas kind of thing at times, which A, has been done to death, and B, isn't particularly brave or cutting edge at all. And it, it seemed he seemed to think that it was quite, oh, God, did he really go there? Did he really say that? Well, you know, that's actually the kind of humour, again, that people in pubs uh, across the world engage in. They're not paid millions of pounds to write screenplays for films. Um, yeah, if, but if I mean... Want, I think... If you want some, like, pro- it, it didn't have the edge that maybe Matt Stone and Trey Parker have in a lot of their work, that <laughs> Sasha Baron Cohen has in... Not all of his work, but certainly a lot of his earlier work. It, didn't, it doesn't have that bite. It doesn't have that sense of danger to it at all. Uh, it feels like that kind of work, but on a much lighter, for a, more of a mass audience. I think what you're yeah, saying but... as well there is Family Guy has a lot of social criticism and sort of real astute observations in it. Mm. And this had none of that. There was nothing. 
you know, you talk about like Trey Parker and Matt Stone. South Park is brilliant in that it's mm. just the best satire and skewering of pretty much everything possible. But is that maybe partly to the way they write it and put it out so close to sort of... But they've done it with their films as well. Mm. Team America is actually yeah. quite a... You know, that that has a lot to say, not just about American foreign policy, but also about actors who try and make out that their views are more important. Other, You know, they play both sides of that. South Park the Musical had a lot to say about censorship and things like that mm. as well. They're this all had brave nothing to films, say about anything. Nothing. Yeah. <laughs> This was just, it was, it was, that was what was really shocking for me. It's, it's Family Guy, at least. I mean, I haven't watched like the last series, but a lot of the early stuff, there, there's some real sort of social criticism and really cute uh, observations about American well, life well, and things think, about their culture. I think I remember, here. I think I remember one joke really from it. Preachy. I mean, it, it started off when it was doing the social commentary stuff and it was quite clever. Then, like Steve said, it had that break and came back and it just went to just being, well, crass. Um, and I think it lost that. The one thing, though, that I do admire Seth MacFarlane for, even if I don't find the stuff he's talking about funny, is he's one of these people who just says it's either everything is funny or nothing is funny. So, you know, it kind of is brave in a way that he, he will make jokes about absolutely anything. Mm. But, you know, <laughs> at the end of the day, if, if they're jokes, they've still got to be funny, haven't they? They've still got to I was going to say, there's a difference between <laughs> making jokes about everything and making everything funny. He yeah, doesn't yeah. make everything yeah. funny. Although, do you know what? Do you know what really depresses me about this film? This has actually debuted with fifty-four million dollars in the American box mm. office and is the best opening ever for an original R-rated comedy. Yeah, it is. It's. I mean, it's huge. It's a huge it, box it, office it success. Um, but a because people will automatically go and see it because it's the guy who did Family Guy. Um, and and do you know what? The reviews are really good. Um, I've, you know, Guardian gave it four stars. You know, uh, I, I, this, just this week, Guardian gave it four stars. Roger Ebert gave it four stars. Um, somewhere else. Get, uh, but, you know, these are quite respectable, reputable uh, film critic outlets. Um, terrible use of words there. It's late. Um, <laughs> but basically, um, some critics that I would usually listen to had said they really liked it. And I thought, well, I'll... I'll give it that go. Uh, but I, I really don't see the fuss. What I will say, though, is I do think that Mark Wahlberg is is good. In terms of his acting, he's, he's an engaging screen presence. I always think he is an engaging screen presence. He's just quite likeable. He, he does well in this. Um, so that's that's a positive. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> right. I mean, Wahlberg and Kunis aren't bad in this. I mean, they yeah. pretty much carry the film, actually, in my opinion. Kunis yeah. looks good. Whatever she's in, Tommy is. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. You can, you figure, if even if she is putting in a, if, even if she was phoning it in, you probably wouldn't notice. You'd just be too busy looking at her. I don't yeah, think they I mean, worked very well together, though. I mean, they might at times. Want, at times, I, I thought I, they but did. I don't think they were helped by the script. Um, but yeah, that's it. I mean, some of the jokes. They, yeah, they some just of the couple like... stuff was terrible, wasn't it? It yeah. was almost like what an 18, 19-year-old geek who's never had sex with a woman thinks <laughs> would be really good conversation between a boyfriend and girlfriend. And, and this girlfriend like, happens to think that his stupid shit is really funny as well, which never exactly. happens in the real yeah, world. Exactly. <laughs> it, 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 it was very unrealistic. And I know we're talking about a film with a magical bear that's come to life, but it still needs to follow its own internal logic. Yeah, and I felt like the film didn't follow its own internal logic there no, at all. No. And some of those jokes that they were using, they just felt like two jokes that, 
you know, perhaps could have been funny between two people who were sharing that joke, but pulling it out to an audience on screen, it didn't translate very well. Yeah. It just got lost on. There was on also some weird edit, because it's directed by Seth MacFarlane as well, and that there were some weird edits where all of a sudden the scene would end and you'd go, oh, hang on, was that all we would do? And it felt like a lot of the scenes, the, the editing of the scenes, I don't know if it's Seth MacFarlane or the editor's fault or whoever, I don't know if he just shouted cut really early, I don't know. But it felt like scenes ended and you thought, well, what A, what was the point of that scene? And B, I felt like I was in the middle of a conversation there and then all of a sudden we'd moved on to something else. And it felt like the kind of, the almost the ADD approach of someone who is only used to producing twenty-minute cartoon segments. It, it it really did feel like the first time he'd ever tried to stretch something out to an hour and a half because there was a lot of filler and there wasn't and the structure wasn't very well put together. And like I say, the, the third act, Giovanni Rabisi um, section was just frankly weird. Uh, and made me very uncomfortable. <laughs> it did as well with the Phyllis point. It did the typical Seth MacFarlane thing of dragging things out for ages. Yeah. You know, like dragging jokes out of it. And it didn't work in a lot of places with this. Like some of the stuff in Family Guy, it works and it's really funny and it gets funnier. But this was just, oh, it just made it awkward a lot of the time, I think, with the, with the jokes. And because they weren't that funny in the first place, when you sort of left to dwell on them, you realize how unfunny they are as well. Um, was, I, I don't know. I, did anybody else have a cinema full of like fifteen-year-old kids? I, I'll tell you what. I had a cinema just a few seats down from me, and it just right. This I'm not the slimmest person in the world, but this was disgusting. Right? The, this couple <laughs> yes, looked like Nick Frost. This so. this, <laughs> cu- this couple had come in. They were just amorphous blobs of people. <laughs> they bought in rather than buy food in the cinema. They'd actually gone to the Tesco's nearby and bought it, which is fine. Because the cinema food is bloody expensive. If anyone from a cinema is listening, drop your prices. I mean, hey, kudos to the three <clears> kids who walked in in front of us who had fucking full Asda carrier bags in their hands. <laughs> I love seeing but, that. Like chatting to the, uh, yeah. the lady. But anyway, these these this couple, right? They they found the film funny, and they found it funny, and I did. That's fine. You're entitled to your opinion. You can laugh at what you want to laugh at. But they got out of breath laughing. <laughs> They'd laugh. And then they'd start wheezing. <clears throat> and I just kept looking. I think, what <laughs> is wrong with you? How can you be tired by laughing? How have you even got in here? Just die. <laughs> Literally die. You offer humanity nothing. <laughs> the, the ironic thing being, they were probably laughing at jokes which would have been at their expense. They Texas. were, actually. Half some the of them. Yeah, some of them they were. And I just thought, this is, this, that's just stupid. What's wrong with you? Just. Oh, disgusting human beings. <laughs> yeah, so... Uh... <laughs> oh, well, that's the neo-Nazi vote reeled in there, Steve. <laughs> People who believe in uh, exterminating swathes of the population are going to fucking love this podcast not, now. Yeah. Not swathes, but if, you know, there's an argument, it's people who <laughs> get tired by laughing. I don't know what else to add to that without spoiling things. Like I'll get I'll get back onto the film. Do you think Seth MacFarlane was on mates rates with half of the people in this? <laughs> Quite possible. <laughs> oh I mean, God. I mean, look at it. You have, you have <laughs> Mila Kunis, uh, Patrick Warburton, Alex Borstein, uh, Mike Henry, Patrick Stewart. He must have been on mates rates. He must have been getting yeah. cheap deals on something. 
yeah, I, I, mean... I did quite. I did quite like the Patrick Stewart, but but even the the thing is, I was like, oh, Patrick did, Stewart's doing did, the opening narration, did you like, and then yeah. some of the things he said, I was like, oh. That yeah. sound like did you like? Stewart. Did you like Patrick? Any conviction? Did he? No. I think that was the problem. Did you, even he was a bit like, oh. Did you like what Patrick Stewart was saying, or did you just like it because he's got an awesome voice? Exactly. I was like, oh, brilliant! Patrick Stewart narration. I could listen to him narrate anything. Oh, except for a Seth MacFarlane script for this film. Damn it! Oh, that upset me. <laughs> Patrick I mean, Warburton got a great was, voice was, as well. If you were fourteen and you like crude jokes mm. and you like swearing and you like things about getting high and you don't really understand how women or relationships work. This is probably going to be quite a funny film for you. But otherwise, yeah. I mean, it wasn't too bad. It just isn't good. Yeah. It's the kind of film that when it comes on Channel 4 in like three or four years, watch it. But yeah. just don't go out and spend your money on it. Christ. It just, really, just save your money. really reminds me of The Dictator. It, in, in terms of the films that we have reviewed this year, uh, on here, this really, I, I wrote down so many of the same things as I did for The Dictator. Some jokes actually worked and made me laugh. Far too many were flat. Um, whoever wrote the narrative arc has no real idea of what you're meant to do with a Hollywood film in terms of three acts and things like that. It's just been badly in, put together. In terms of comedies that we've watched in the 15 episodes we've done, yeah. Um, the five-year engagement's been the best, and that make for, make of that what you will. Yeah. Um, Although Dark Shadows is probably a pretty good comedy if you're not taking it seriously, if you're just laughing how <laughs> shit it is. Yeah. <laughs> True. Uh, yeah, I, I would. I'd put this on a par with The Dictator, and again, that was us being disappointed by Sasha Baron Cohen. Whereas I think I honestly think it, is this the best? Seth, is Seth MacFarlane a one-trick pony? Um, can, can he actually escape from um, the reputation that Family Guy has has got? But then, and can he ever do better than I that? I mean, I I used to or find he shot his load early. I used to find Family Guy really funny, but I don't know if it's because now I've moved away from uni, so I don't watch episodes with my friends, and everyone's laughing. Family Guy's gotten worse, or I just don't find it funny anymore. I don't the know new which stuff it is. is worse, but I think actually, did anybody else find that the whole cinema was like pissing themselves laughing at this film as well? Yeah, I did. Not, I felt I was no, just sat there with a complete so deadpan face, thinking, yeah. "What the fuck is everyone laughing?" And about? I think part of it might be because we actually uh, we went in thinking, right, we're going to have to look at the positives, the negatives. We went in with a critic's eye to this, even though you know we are the failed critics. We're not pretending to be anything. We're not. But I was going to say, time... speak for yourself, man. I just went and watched a film. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've never taken a notepad into the cinema. So... Okay, I, I, I did take a notepad in with me. I bet Owen did as well. It's dark. Um, How am I meant to write? Uh, I, I, was say, I always sit by the aisle where the, um, where the steps are lit up. I've, I've got a seat that I always go to in my cinema where um, I sit there. And because the lights on the steps stay lit, I can place my notebook on one of the steps. And I can lean over and write while the film's on. Fantastic, there you go. fantastic then, insight. A bit of a... Reading glasses, Steve. But behind... <laughs> that was a little sneak behind the curtain for you. <laughs> fantastic insight for all our listeners. See, um, kids, if you want to be as good a critic as me, you've got to take these tips down. Before we um, move on to a, a brief spoiler alert, what are we watching next week? Uh, next week, okay. So next week is Failed Listeners. So each of us four in the review, in the first bit, 
we'll be talking about a film that a listener has suggested for one of us. I'm still waiting to decide which one of those uh, we get. Um, uh, Jerry's told me he's definitely not, he hasn't got time to watch Das Boot, the, I uh, cannot watch the director's cut. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we'll find something for all four of us to watch. I think I may well end up watching Schindler's List. Uh, Finally. About time as well. I know, yeah. Um, although Uwe Boll's um, Rampage also sounds interesting. <laughs> um, but our main Just review... Just give me something week... short, for God's sake. Oh, well, In the middle uh, of this is a good. master's dissertation. I'll, 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 my birthday I'll sort next you week. Out. I might go I'll sort birthday, you out. So, um, come on. Captain Paris, that's quite short and quite good, and I'll scroll out a minute. Oh, someone oh, said, someone, no, someone I'm, pe- I'm, I'm a postgraduate uh, student. Don't have any of these luxuries. Um, but yeah, so each four, all four of us will be watching a film that has been recommended anyway. Uh, not sure which ones, but our main review next week is going to be Vertigo because it's been recommended by a listener and because I knew up until recently at least a couple of you hadn't seen it. And also, as it's the number one film of all time, according to Sight and Sound, then we might as well have a little go at it. Basically, because the only thing out in the cinema next week is Step Up 4 and No. I'm just Miami Heat. No, I'm, I, I draw the line there. I'm not hey, going to go and watch it's, it's it. It's about time you drew the line with these. Yeah, guys. I know. I, I, I'm, I'm the last one to draw a line on a film, but I'm drawing the line at step up for Miami Heat. Um, uh, who bit, knows? I may still end up going to watch it. But <laughs> if you had an unlimited not going to force anyone else to watch, watch that. Um, yeah, exactly. No unlimited card, so I'm not watching step up for. So Vertigo next week is the long answer. Yep. Um, <laughs> and you'll also you'll also get the triple bill separate podcast a few yes. days after you get this one and yeah so if you don't want to have ted spoiled for you um not like our review's done that already by just telling you not to go and watch it but don't listen any further than this if you don't mind it being spoiled or you've already seen it and want to join us for more conversation on the film carry on listening Right, so Ted, then, spoiler alert, where do you want to go with this, James? Well, the main thing, actually, uh, and if we're talking about spoilers, let's actually talk about someone I can spoil, the ending. Um, I had a, I, I, there was almost a glimmer of hope at the ending. I wrote down on my notebook that I'd taken to the cinema with me, I wrote, have they gone for the brave, honest ending? And then, no, they didn't. I honestly thought if Ted had ended up it stayed dead. And maybe this is my cold heart talking here or something. Oh, no, no, but, no. I agree with you. But, I agree. but there will have been, there would have been a journey. Um, Mark Wahlberg's character would have learned to not rely on his teddy bear and actually, you know, be able to move on with his life and start a new life with Mia Kunis. Um, mm. but the fact that they brought him back meant that no one learned anything. Uh, yeah, so it was 90 minutes. And, and I'm sorry to be a stickler. And people will tell me, oh, you're, you're reading too much into a film. Just switch your brain off. Enjoy. Uh, I'm sorry that if there's a story, if you're going to take the time to tell a story, a character needs to go through a journey. I don't think Mark Wahlberg's character goes through a journey in that film. So I mean, what is the point of it? What I was left wondering is how no one involved in this film, and there must be loads of people involved in this film and all sorts of levels, when actually... We've we've done this story, and there has been zero progression, and we've ended up in exactly the same situation at the start. So literally everything else that has just happened has been rendered pointless by yeah. a complete lack of progress. Exactly. It, 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 and it's, how did it's no one realise that? How oh, it's infuriating. Yeah. Now 
I haven't seen it for ages, but a part of this reminded me of, um, well, first one, uh, reminded me of the Muppets, which I'd seen earlier this year, about the fact that, you know, there's someone with, a, you know, for no logical reason has got a Muppet. But there, they have some progression because he goes off and joins the Muppets. And, uh, and our friend ends up with Amy Adams. Oh, God. Jason, is it Joe? Oh, it's Siegel. late and I'm drunk. Jason Seeger. Hey, you know, there's some character progression there and they learn to become their own separate people. Great. Um, but, uh, Drop Dead Fred with Rick Mayle, um, from the nineties would have been about the 90s wouldn't it about a girl imaginary friend then comes back again quite a similar setup in a way uh but only that no one else could see it see him now in that doesn't he end up disappearing because she learns to live without him or am i wrong can anyone remember yeah exactly but i i get the i get the feeling that there was some progression there uh, it just reminded me of that film but no this ending would have been more honest and brave if they'd gone, no, Ted, Ted. Obviously, now they can have a sequel if they decide to have a sequel. And, oh, yeah, you know, the hilarious. They could all go on holiday together to a foreign country. Um, that clearly would be the next <laughs> way you know, to go. Even, and just insult foreigners. Thing, even before the dead thing, which I, uh, I have it written down here, it would have been better if Ted died. No, I'm glad we There's... Even before that, there was that moment where he went to Milo Kunis and he offered, you know, I'll walk away, I'll leave you alone, yeah. you can have that. Yeah, well, just leave it there. Just let that happen. Yeah. Don't oh, bring this weird ca- shit character in who's a bit weird. weird. I like Giovanni Ribisi, but that whole bit was just stupid. I, I mean, mean, he did a, he did a good job of, like, being the creepy, creepy guy <laughs> and doing the dance. The dance was, was funny. The dance, and the then dance. they dragged it out for a minute and a half and it wasn't funny exactly. anymore. And it was this whole bit... and. This again sums up a lot of the film. Um, oh, he's dancing to Tiffany. Look, Tiffany's from the eighties, and he's dancing. To, isn't it funny that you know he's dancing to something from the eighties? Isn't that funny? It's like no, stuff isn't automatically funny just because it's from from the eighties. However, <laughs> he says with a major major caveat, um, the Flash Gordon sequence for me personally. Uh, was the highlight of the film. But only <laughs> you know, I was watching that and going, James is going to love this. Yeah, only because <laughs> I massively love Flash Gordon. Yeah. Anyone who doesn't really like Flash Gordon is going to find that a really boring part of the film, I imagine. I yeah. was just really excited to see um, to see Flash Gordon as an old man doing coke on screen. That That, that to me, made me laugh, but in that kind of nostalgic way in the way that, God, Flash Gordon's actually quite shit as well, isn't it? But, God, uh, I love watching it every Christmas. Gordon's alive! Um, and then the bit where he's riding on the back of the stupid flying... <laughs> it, that was funny. Um, and But that was actually... I think that as well had, like, a bit of a universal quality, you know, with the sort yeah. of bad backdrop and him joining in with that film that he's always watched, you know what I mean? That, there yeah. was the sort of universal aspect to that, but... Yeah, then, that was the cleverest uh, bit of plotting as well. That was the fact that that happened and that led to Mark Wahlberg and Mila Kunis breaking up. Yeah, you know, that was the one clever bit of plotting that had been the whole. Um, if you show a gun in the first scene, fire it in the third, that kind of thing. They laid the seeds for the Flash Gordon thing, so that that fitted in well, and I enjoyed that. Um, but as off air, we were just talking about the fight scene that came out of that was a perfect example of Seth MacFarlane get, thinking something's really funny and then just pushing it and pushing it far too far and for too long until it's not funny anymore. It, it was funny when he when he 
you know, Flash sees him as Ming because he's yeah. sm- he's smashed off his face on coke. And it's just and a then the bit where it just gets all racist and overdrawn, and there's a duck and thing. I mean, oh, it just listen to the tone of my voice. This is this is how funny that 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 little bit of the scene was. It was just literally the film equivalent of doing this and going, hmm, this was interesting a minute ago, but now I'm just going to keep doing this and doing this. And you will laugh because this is funny because there is a duck and a Chinese man who doesn't speak like the rest of us. And that was literally what it was. I mean, the whole, fu- that fucking scene, it was, it was good. There was a little joke where he sees him as Ming and you think, yeah, that was funny. And then, oh. Just end it there. Yeah. It was it was um, very frustrating this film. You know, when I look back at it, there was a lot of opportunities that I think they just missed, and it frustrates yeah. me because it could have been so much better than it was. Yeah, I did like the Tom Skerritt payoff in the end as well, actually, because yeah. um, I quite liked that a few people kept like just randomly saying that they knew Tom Skerritt, which again I, I, I quite liked. And then at the, and then he actually turns up at the end and. Uh, that was that was quite a dark little bit. I, I did like I the Ryan. I like the Ryan Reynolds cameo as well. I was gonna yeah. say, yeah, and he barely spoke in it, did he? He yeah. just turned up and was Gay. sexy boyfriend to <laughs> yeah. to the man that I know as Puddy from Seinfeld. But I'm um, I'm assuming he does voices in. He does. Family he Guy. does the voice of of one of the characters in oh, okay. Family Guy, and he's in some other terrible American sitcom that E4 just try and ram down your throats at the moment. Oh, really? He, he, but he's got a great me, voice. He'll, he'll always be Puddy from Seinfeld, who was Elaine's boyfriend in the late series, and he was absolutely fantastic in that. But, um, uh, but yeah, I think that's pretty much it for my spoiler alert. I liked a couple of things. I, I did, I did um, like the joke. The did I, not work. I did like the joke where um, John was trying to guess Ted's girlfriend's name. Yes, um, which I'd seen <laughs> in the trailer. And then it, was it any of those with a Lynn after it? Yeah, and, uh, but again. It did go on a bit long. And, um, and then there was just unnecessary swearing thrown in. I mean, I'm not exactly a shrinking yeah. pilot when it comes to swearing, but there was just so much of it. And it was just like, well, that's not... There's, there was just no need for it. It didn't make it funnier. It didn't like particularly make it feel any more real. It just made them feel like people who were trying to swear really hard and trying to fit swear words in as many yeah. sentences I mean, as so possible. I did like the bit with Patrick Stewart and the writing when he was saying there's there's nothing more powerful than a young boy's witch, except an Apache helicopter. Yeah, that was yeah, that was, yeah, that was a nice little joke. Yeah, that was good. Um, I think my my favourite joke in it. I know we were talking about how it would have been better if uh, Ted had stayed dead, but when he yeah. came back to life and he had looked like he was pretending he'd had a stroke, I <laughs> I have to say I did laugh out loud. I laughed. I laughed at that bit, and that was one of the kind of like brave, controversial bits that actually to me worked and it was one of the few times I involuntarily went just laughed and I I, I love that I love that I love that humor where you laugh and then immediately you stop thinking god I never should have laughed at that I love it when that happens the kid as well was another example that was good and yeah when I had the fight with the kid yeah yeah it was a shock humor but it wasn't like um the, the crappy 9-11 references that were littered throughout. Exactly. That, that, it was those nice little, and there was one actually that I... 9-11. Yeah. <laughs> I, um, when Ted is in the sack in the terrible bit where he's being kidnapped. That was, that was, that was what it was. work. I was wrong. Yeah. Oh, sorry, Derek. Yeah. 
that, that is the amount of thinking that went into the script writing for the 9-11 yeah. references. It's just... I know. But there, it was weird, the kind of things that worked for me and things that... Like, I, I only wrote down one joke and it's actually it probably now I say it now it's not going to be funny but um the bit where he's got a sack over his head and he said I can hear the fat kid running I bet it's hilarious that <laughs> just that worked that actually with the voice and everything worked for me but so many didn't work um like when he pulls out in front of someone and says sorry I was sending a tweet I thought in three or four years time people go go what <laughs> yeah and there there was a lot of that humor where you think actually um, in five years' time, I think a lot of this is going to really go over a load of people's heads. Half the jokes about popular culture won't even work. Like some of the, I, in fact, they mentioned a few people that I had no idea of because I'm not American, and so I think some jokes just went over my head because I'm British. Um, but maybe that was just me. Well, I think no, we should I probably, I think we should probably wrap things up. Yeah. There. Um. And yeah, look forward to the Triple Build podcast that'll be out a few days after this one is. And we'll be back next week with the failed listener episode. Oh, yeah. Exciting. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 